One of the things that happened in Washington in 2013 and 14, everybody knew it was going to be a carbon tax or cap and trade. You tell me, is there a carbon tax in Washington state right now? Is there cap and trade? No, there's neither. So what we did was put our words into action and just go out there and start, you know, reducing carbon anyway. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode number five. Today's episode marks the halfway point of season one. If you haven't had a chance to check out episodes one through four, definitely do so. And for those who've been with us the entire time, thank you very much. Today I'm speaking with an energy expert on how you can make easy decisions that save you money and reduce your scope two emissions. That's your electricity consumption. I'm Nathan Svee, and this is The Net Zero Life. Today I'm recording outside in beautiful nature, so you may or may not hear birds in the background. Reminder to get outside when you have a chance, whether that's a 10 minute lunch break or listening to your favorite podcast on a walk. There are three ways to reduce your carbon footprint. Number one, cut out activities that emit carbon. This is the least likely and also the hardest. Number two, replace those carbon emitting activities with zero carbon substitutes. It's easier, but it's also hard to do when there are no options. As an example, number one, you can stop driving or number two, you can buy an electric vehicle. The third way is to be more efficient in how you do things. This is the simplest and it's the most effective for right now. In the car example, this would be buying a hybrid. It's not perfect, but it's better. And it's the intermediate solution you have until the opportunity exists to go full carbon zero. Today on the show, I'm speaking with Quentin Barnes, co-founder of Illumia. We discuss how you can be more efficient to reduce your carbon footprint. Specifically, we're talking about light bulbs and how most people today are using the Hummer equivalent of light bulbs without realizing that the Tesla light bulb exists right at their fingertips. Illumia is an efficiency as a service company. And while their focus is on helping companies reduce cost through efficiency savings, like replacing incandescent light bulbs and optimizing HVAC systems, all of their business principles can be applied to everyday consumers like you and me. During the show, we dive into Quinton's sustainability journey how Illumia got started, and how electricity grids work. Electricity grids enable you to turn on a light whenever you want. For a history lesson on how the US got its electricity grid up and running, you can read the historical fiction novel, The Last Days of Night, one of my favorite books of all time. Like many Net Zero Life episodes, Quentin and I get technical at times, and here are some concepts to keep in mind. Per Bill Gates' climate book, How We Plug In, aka our electricity consumption, represents 27% of the world's annual carbon emissions. ESCOs versus ESP. ESCOs, or energy service companies, are project managers for electricity projects. McKinstry is a company you may or may not have heard of. The only reason I know is because I've seen their trucks driving around. This is separate from an ESP, or energy service provider, who are the ones that actually provide you your power that let you charge your iPhone. Con Edison is an example of an ESP. Metering is how utility companies measure the amount of electricity you use. Light bulbs, LED versus incandescent. LEDs use 75% less energy than incandescent, and it's because they generate the light differently and they give off much less heat. Grids and cleanliness. You get your electricity from your local grid, and your local grid can be powered by wind, coal, hydro, nuclear, gas, biomass, or oil. You can look up how your electricity is generated in your zip code through the EPA's website. Where I'm located, most of the energy is hydro, but where I grew up in Maryland, gas is the primary means of power generation. HVAC, or heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. It's how we make buildings comfortable to eat, sleep, and work in. Two more quick things. Quinton and I did this interview prior to the administration change on January 20th. And as always, everything I say is my own opinion and in no way is reflective of my employer. It's also not investment advice or anything else that can get me sued. Quinton, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, Today we're going to hear a whole lot about your background uh, and Illumia and energy. But before we get there, I want to know what's your sustainability vice? Something that you know isn't great for the world in terms of emissions, but you're just not ready to give it up. Oh man, that's such a good one. There are, there are many, Um, I'd say just flying, getting in, getting in that plane and uh, just knowing how much power it takes to to take that thing off the ground and take you to a different part of the world. And it reminds me of how much stuff there is in the luggage compartment. You know, you see 
people bring in six bags or throw on a TV to take it across the country. You know, it's already been shipped around the world a few times. Uh, yeah. Flying, I'd say, you know, it's such a, yeah, it's like such a, such a, such a personal desire to be able to, you know, see a picture of something and be like, yeah, I'm going to go there and then just take off, <laughs> go thousands totally. of miles across the earth for like a week and a half and then come back. Did you fly less during the pandemic or I should say we're currently in it, but have you flown less in 2020 versus other Most years? Definitely. Most definitely. And it, I'm, I mean, I love that fact that, uh, you don't have to necessarily hop and be right in front of somebody for that person to feel like they can do business or, or pleasure or whatever, you know, whatever sort of conversation you're having, um, you can, you can kind of get it, get the same quality, especially with some of those kind of just pedestrian business meetings or, or interactions. Has that affected how you guys do business at Illumia? Has it been a benefit at all? Um, that's a good question in the net. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, in the net, probably it's been a benefit. It just kind of cuts out a lot of the, a lot of the, the fluff time, you know, the conference time. And although there are a lot of rich connections that are made in those events and, um, we're lucky that we have, we're in kind of a position where we, we haven't, we don't need that at this moment to, to in, in this phase of growth that we're currently in. So it's been a benefit at this time, I'd say that we've just been able to kind of like hunker down, be like, Oh, Hey, sorry, I don't need to go to your, to St. Louis necessarily this week and two weeks from now. Awesome. And I'm, I'm stoked to, to get into Lumia a little bit more, but before we get there, let's kind of want to talk about a little bit about you and your background, um, you know, able to do a little bit of research and you graduate from Boston college with a degree in philosophy and political, political science. And then you decide to move to Argentina or you have an opportunity to move to Argentina. And not only that, but you found a company there as well. And so what happens? You're in Argentina, you come back, you decide to go, you come back to Washington, you work as a climate policy analyst mm -hmm. for a year. And then next thing you know, you're like starting another tech company, you're co-founding yeah. Alumia. Yeah, you know, that was a really cool kind of year and a half, uh, almost two years in there. I, I was finishing up a, a master's thesis on carbon markets and carbon credits. Um, and so I was definitely super passionate about the space and what these different, you know, coming, especially from the international side, I was really hoping to get a little bit more involved in the, the international politics, international sustainability community in Seattle. And that's just not as, not as existent as it is in a place like, you know, New York city where you got the UN or over in Europe or in the various centers throughout Latin America. Um, you know, Seattle's much more connected to the Pacific region and, you know, maybe even like Vancouver is even a little more international, but, uh, at the time everyone was deciding, you know, it was going to be either cap and trade or carbon tax and what in Washington state, it was like, you know, anyone who was talking about the discussion, it wasn't even like assumed that it would be something other than that. It was like, which one is it going to be? And how do we make the right decisions? for the, to maximize the sustainability, or if you were on the other side of it and you were a business who didn't really understand it or was scared of that policy, it was how much is this going to hurt me? Um, so I was, you know, coming fresh off the, the boat of scrapping around in, in kind of carbon offsets and carbon markets. And I was able to help the yeah, other business Alliance and its constituent members kind of understand this and, and also help us kind of promote what was the best quote unquote, policy for Washington state, um, and to help Washington meet its statutory goals, uh, and, you know, reduce carbon and align our economy with where we wanted to go sustainability was, um, which was a really, a really cool thing, uh, to be a part of, to, to be honest, I got a little disillusioned just by how slow things moved. And, you know, maybe that's, that was a sign, right? That politics wasn't for me, you know, a year and a half in no policy wins I'm out, <laughs> but, uh, that's definitely not the patience that you need, uh, in the political, the political realm. Yeah. But throughout that, you know, we were beating a, a few drums consistently, you know, we were, we were one of the, the approaches that I appreciate from, you know, David Giuliani and Isaac Castema and other people who were, uh, really part of it over at the Washington Business Alliance was that we were trying to focus on, regardless of the policy, what are the actual like engineered parts of our economy that need to have carbon reduced? 
you know, it wasn't just, oh, hey, we need a carbon tax and then everything else gets fixed. It was actually where in our economy, where in our uh, emissions inventory can there be reductions? What technologies would be implemented in in that sector of the economy to actually reduce it by 15%. Is that realistic? Is that going to, you know, then the next question, you know, that the business folk wanted to jump to was, oh yeah, but how much does that hurt the Washington economy? You know, and there was a lot of kind of just uh, fear of the unknown in that regard. So like, what what do I need to understand or what, what should people understand about their consumption of energy? One of those drums we were beating was energy efficiency. You know, energy efficiency is good in and of itself. It is, you know, reducing your future spend. And the earlier you can do it, the better that investment will be, the more it will pay you off. Um, and I started learning, you know, a little bit more about the ESCOs and the energy service companies that existed out there. Like, you know, the ones specifically in Washington State that have done great work uh, all over the place are McKinstry and McDonald Miller, uh, two of the big ones here in Seattle. And that model was really interesting to me. It's the same and it's very similar to, you know, other kind of like third-party finance solar, which had taken off in the early 2000s. Um, and so when I met uh, Aaron Block, who's, you know, kind of the true the true OG founder to my co-founder of, of Illumia, you know, he had come from a solar commercial hot water company that was doing what we do now for Illumia and what third-party solar kind of does for, I mean, they do for, for the solar industry is really simplify what is otherwise a, a large asset transaction and cut right to the savings, cut right to the benefit that a business can get offer that without any upfront cost and have the efficiency be the focus of the actual product. And what was clear when I met Aaron was that what they were able to do for the commercial solar hot water at his previous company um, was recognize that there's a subset of the market that's really being underserved by these opportunities or isn't being served at all. Uh, and those were the small and medium-sized businesses. Um, and so it just, everything clicked. It was like, we can bring energy efficiency to a whole new class of building owner and manager. We are leveraging, you know, that same technology that I was seeing revolutionize the weather. We actually could put metering at the site of our clients we will literally only bill them for a portion of the efficiency that we've created. And we'll do that every month. And it's going to be actually lined up with what they saved the prior month. And we can do that because of low cost metering, uh, the slightly more mature financial market that had, you know, been built largely around uh, the third party solar. And then we could take those tools that were created and, bring efficiency to a whole, a whole set of folks who were well underneath kind of the minimum project size of everyone else out there who was, you know, perhaps being served by Nesco, but, but no, because the ESCO doesn't care about a job that's underneath 2 million, $2 million, you know, and that's what we've been doing ever since. It's just tried to stay focused on, you know, serving that, that population, um, providing, uh, no cost efficiency upgrades to that that set that asset class, demystifying energy efficiency for them. You know these are folks who don't have, uh, you know, a five ten person energy team. Oftentimes they don't look at their power bill every month. They're you know a grocery store GM. They know their dollars and cents, but they've got seven thousand things on their to do list. You know, so can could we come in and simplify this for them? And, fund, manage, meter, and maintain an energy efficiency upgrade for them with zero money from them, absolute guaranteed savings on our part. And if something breaks, we'll come fix it for them. Yeah. And so who are the ESCOs going to then that you guys that, that are above your profile? Are they going to the Amazons and the Boeings of the world? Uh, a lot of them are. Um, many, 
I mean, it, it really depends on, on the, on the market and on, on the ESCO a little bit, because a lot of them do have, have specialties within, within their markets, but yeah, you know, the, the large property owners, the large developers, the, the public clients, you know, they can more easily, it's a large company, number one, and it's an, they're old companies, right? So they could they have a little bit more leeway to sit around and, and, you know, uh, position themselves for those large clients, uh, and institutional clients, you know, and we didn't, you know, we were a company that, you know, had, didn't have, you know, in 2014, we were just getting, you know, our first, first jobs off the ground. Uh, so, you know, we need, we didn't have that ability at first, uh, that we, we have now to, to develop these relationships and, you know, be able to withstand kind of a two year, perhaps even three year sales cycle, uh, before somebody decides that, yeah, you know, I do want to upgrade my 15 distribution centers. Yeah. Um, that's an area, that's a place we were, we are at now. It's not where we were back then. That's what I mean by really narrowing in on, on that, on that market early on, uh, and knowing who it was that, that was a hundred percent not being served by the other legacy products out there. Got it. Um, and the other legacy product that kind of was available was, was like the loan, like the basic loan capital, capital F finance. And then, but not only that, but then they also have to know how to, to, to what to do in terms of, and, and also calculate the savings, right. In addition, to just getting the loan to do the capital. Exactly. There's the, there, there are a lot of different components to it. And, and that's, you know, it's not just, it's, it's pretty hard to give away free lights right? when it comes down to it, <laughs> you know, uh, just saying, Hey, I'm going to come in and pay for your lighting system. And people, people are immediately, immediately suspect of, wait, but what are you putting in? You know, where am I getting screwed is kind of what they're used to. And especially with, you know, not a lot of folks truly understand their power bill, you know, kilowatt hours is something a lot of us have heard of, but when you start getting into the commercial industrial rates, you know, people are, are charged per kilowatt of energy of demand. So there's a lot of education uh, in this market uh, from people who are in the facilities department and, and are more fluent and have more contact with those types of things up and through accounting and into the C-suite. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of, of, of handholding and discussion about why we do what we do, why it's structured um, and, and why that's beneficial for them, why it's not taking advantage of them. Uh, and I think that's something that's probably pretty, pretty common in the energy industry is some of those preconceived notions. Yeah. What would you say are like the first principles you're trying to teach a potential customer? You know, you mentioned kilowatt hour demand side, um, whatever the opposite of the demand side is, what are you trying to teach someone when you're, you know, you have your foot in the door and and hopefully to loop them in as as a customer? Great question. I appreciate it. Uh, phrased that way. I'd say the first thing I'm trying to teach someone is that, transparency and responsibility is and are some of our like founding principles that that they get along with the lights you know we you know provide that post post installation service we are metering the yeah so taking it back a little bit right like so what we do is we walk in it's pretty easy to tell you know that that somebody needs our help you look around, they've got lights out or it's just legacy lighting. You know, the colors of the lights are all slightly different. You know, imagine a grocery store, you walk in and you look up at the fixtures, which people don't probably do that often. And, you know, every fourth bulb is a slightly different color. And that doesn't really matter. But when that place gets retrofitted, everybody, the workers, the owners, the customers, eh, maybe not the customers as much because they're just, you know, walking to get their milk or whatever, but everybody notices and it's a consistent look in the rest of the facility and people are excited for a couple of weeks and then they get back to their normal work. And that's exactly what I want. You know, <laughs> I want it to look good, have them be able to get back to their normal business. And they're saving money too, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. No, and they're, and they're immediately saving money. Um, yeah. So we, we go in and, and we talk to an owner and oftentimes they know what they could save. You know, that you don't, you, again, I, I kind of go back to that grocer just because I really like that, um, that idea of an individual who, like they're really savvy. Grocery store owners are savvy. They know their dollars and cents. They know their cost of goods. They manage employees. They have contractors coming in all the time. So they're very fluent in all of this uh, and all the different components of, of most deals. You know, they have new technology that they, has to, uh, they have to install. All of a sudden chips come out and they have to get brand new credit card machines. Um, and they generally, and most, this goes for most businesses, they generally have already gotten a couple of proposals for whatever whatever we're, uh, we're talking about, whether it's, you know, the lighting that you mentioned, or you know, now we do uh, HVAC retrofits and refrigeration retrofits on the same model. So they generally have had a couple of these proposals. They've installed maybe, you know, LEDs outside. They have a couple of the brand new refrigerators in their facility, you know, but they still have a couple of those old really real clunkers as well. So the idea is like, they go, well, why don't I just pay for this myself? <laughs> you know? And so just like demystifying that, you know, you can, like, I am not God's gift to earth. I did not invent the led light bulb. I did not invent the HVAC <laughs> upgrade or the refrigeration upgrade. We just like happen to do this in a style that we think could be really beneficial to you where, you know, you can take that proposal off of your shelf that's been sitting there for a year and a half i would even love if you gave me your input on what you liked about it what you didn't like about it was it actually comprehensive was it for all your refrigerators or now that this idea of like going after the efficiency first and letting the efficiency opportunity kind of like lead your ability to upgrade your site um does that enable you to actually get something that benefit you in the way you want. I mean, that conversation with folks and they get to integrate that project a little bit more into their actual operations. They start realizing, you know, sometimes some weird, weird requests come out. They're like, well, I, I, I want a lightning lighting pole out in that back parking lot. And you're like, well, we can't jackhammer through the concrete and run a completely brand new line, but you know, here's how we could potentially solve that problem or get some light out into that dark corner or whatever the case may be, but reorienting to them that we're not here to make a quick buck, put in, you know, get the, I don't know, 15, 20% of their project costs from the electric utility and tell them how much they're going to save and then walk out the door. You know, it does us no good to inflate an ROI on our proposal. Right. And, you know, I saw that your payback period is, you know, your contract's off in three to seven years. Do you feel like you're, having to, you know, because a lot of times you can build your company by having repeat customers, but do you feel like every time you're trying to educate someone in this process or is efficiency as a service becoming this name brand thing and you walk on, you knock on PCC, you know, my favorite grocery, even though their avocados are $3 in Seattle, um, but they're really good, right? If you knock on their door and they say, Hey, you know, I'm from Illumia, I'm efficiency as a service, they get it. Or every time it's, you're breaking down the wall. Um, yeah, we're still not there every time we're breaking down the wall now. Um, people have heard of efficiency as a service, but they, uh, or lighting as a service, but, um, the market isn't yet quite mature enough to have the same understanding be understood at the beginning of that conversation. Like we definitely have to go back to square one and say, Oh, hey, great. Like, wh what was your experience with efficiency as a service? Um, 95 times out of 100, you know, I guess I could boil that down a little bit. 19 times out of 20. <laughs> it, uh, it is definitely not the same thing as what we're offering. Um, you know, what we try and do is use your actual power bill from the month where we measured your energy savings in order to ensure that we're, you know, always billing you a percentage of how much we have actually saved you. And what we also saw in the market is, especially with the kind of advent and explosion of LEDs, um, an LED is basically just a circuit board, a printed circuit board, is that anyone who had the technology to create a circuit board started creating LED light bulbs. And you got a 
every company out there in order to get in the market started also attached to that light bulb, they would say there'd be like a 10 year warranty. You know, a lot of those companies didn't even make it beyond three years. So here was a company who had just bought a bunch of equipment underneath the guise that there was gonna be a 10 year warranty, but they bought it from a company that was only two years old. Uh, and the person that sold it to them was telling them they were doing lighting as a service. Right. So I walk into that grocery store, not knowing they have to have that previous experience. Uh, and I now have to climb up the hill that is all of their past problems and explain to them why we are responsible, why we're transparent and how we actually take care of their future needs and desires. So your, your business card says like co-founder, sales and therapist is what, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely an education component. I think the therapist yeah, is teacher. probably more, uh, more something maybe I need. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't we all? Um, and so like, it seems so simple, right? It's like, why aren't people doing this? Why am, how much more efficient if I go to my home, how much more efficient is it for me? Is my led light bulb than my incandescent? If I replace it in my house, am I going to save? Like, I think we paid $228 for two months last, last month. So is my bill going to now be $180? Let's say you paid, let's call it 200. Um, I mean, a rough rule in, in, uh, kind of the built environment is that about a third of your building is, is, uh, lighting. I don't know. So, you got your 200 $200 bill you know you're only talking about 70 bucks of it is actually lighting you're taking a 60 watt bulb and taking that down to roughly 10 watts you know so it's a it's a pretty pretty large pretty large difference um, the majority of us also have some fluorescent bulbs in our house you know especially up in areas that have promoted energy energy efficiency for a while, where the fluorescent bulb has about a 50% efficiency gain. You're taking something that's, you know, a 20 watt fluorescent bulb down to about those same 10 watts. Um, so it really depends on what you have inside the house. But I, this house that I moved into, you know, yeah, it was, I think we, we cut our energy bill almost in half because they did have uh, incandescence everywhere in, in my house. And you lose a little bit on in the winter on the heating side because the that 60 watt or 100 watt bulb is also a 60 watt or 100 watt heater. Uh, and so you, you, you make up for it a little bit in, in a state like Washington, which doesn't have air conditioning load, but does have heating load in the winter. But that goes into a little, you know, a little too wonky for the, for the residential site it does start mattering when you get into, uh, you know, commercial buildings. Uh, there is a little bit of a bump if people are, are depending on how folks are heating their facility. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it seems like it's makes perfect sense for, for the customer side or the demand side. But do you think that if we don't cross the threshold or reach the tipping point where every, every grocer or every quick mart is using an efficiency as a service provider. Is there an, like a point where the utilities themselves are promoting, you know, I saw you guys did something with a utility in Illinois and uh, um, I, I on the East coast, we're seeing utility companies like Dominion energy and, and Duke energy commit to net zero by 2050. Are they going to be partnering with you and coming to the, their customers and saying, Hey, you know, in order for us to be net zero, you're part of our, our scope three emissions. We need you to be as efficient as possible because every kilowatt hour not used is the most efficient, right? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, uh, I, I don't know if you, you led me with that Duke energy, Duke energy vibe, but the, uh, <laughs> yeah, we run Duke energy's program. Um, the efficiency as a service program uh, and have for a few years now, it's called uh, direct efficiency. And that's, that's kind of the entire idea is, you know, there are efficiency opportunities out there and the utilities are, are great service providers. So it's kind of a natural fit that they can be an avenue for folks to upgrade, upgrade their sites. Now, utility economics are, are crazy and I definitely don't pretend to know you know, every single corner of it, you know, there's the regulated side of it, the non-regulated there's 
pressure from policies in various territories that they have uh, either explicit or future pressure. You know, they understand that some some new rule might come down in the future, right? So they're they're always uh, very future oriented and forward thinking when they're um, thinking about their future programs and plans. But I mean, I don't think every every company or every you know grocery store or commercial building needs to have an efficiency as a service provider you know you have um there are a ton of really smart capable facilities managers and facilities teams and sustainability teams and um companies that are well capitalized and don't necessarily need an option like us now what has been awesome in the last few years is uh, originally it was a, a lot of the people who who took up our service were the folks who needed it. You know, uh, they sure they could have gone to a bank, but you know, hey, maybe they were actually kind of kind of tapped on capital F finance. We are an off balance sheet service agreement. You know, we're we're much more like. Um, structurally and as far as their balance sheet goes we're much more like an, an aramark or a uniform provider you know we are here providing light lighting and efficiency we own those lights at their site you know very much uh very important but it's also kind of a technicality when it comes to you know somebody turning on those lights or or utilizing that that hvac system um but they're very savvy operators who are able to handle all of that in-house, you know, someone like uh, an Amazon or Home Depot or, uh, you know, any one of any national company, pick your national brand, um, has a squad whose entire job it is to know what the next technology coming down the pipe is and how it can benefit or enhance their, their previous or current operations. Uh, and those folks are, are, are leaders in the industry and, and they don't necessarily quote unquote need us. What's been really cool is they, they now actually, they want us, you know, they do see the benefit of being able to get that same, like what, what you're kind of a savvy operator who's paying $200,000 for a lighting system for their five distribution centers probably has a pretty good idea of what their power bills are. They probably have, you know, a simple but sufficient working model of what they expect to save and how that measure will benefit their various, uh, you know, projected outputs, whether that's, you know, admirably something super cool like scope whatever emissions or whether it's just on the dollars and cents or whether it's, looking at how many techs they have to have to maintain those five distribution centers, you know, they know how that, that measure is going to be affecting their facility and they're able to, they've operated that facility for 15 years and they know pretty, you know, eight of the 10 contractors in the local area. So they know that they have somebody really responsible to, to take care of that. They also might've, you know, worked in the industry and been a, an HVAC engineer for a little bit or, uh, have gone to multiple trade shows and they kind of know the jargon of what an LED should be and what they should look for and not look for in that market. Um, and that's all to say that, you know, again, we are not the only, the only arrow in, in a facility manager's quiver, but what I love is when they get busy and they know that they should do something, but they see that they're not going to be able to for a year, even six months the benefit of uh, of letting a company like us come invest in their business stand beside them to be responsible and provide them that that transparent you know billing and 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 metering system enables them to have actually more savings than if they had waited 2 years to you know hoard that treasure for themselves uh, and they're ultimately 2 years further along in their plan and not, and not only that, right? Like in terms of if we think of, I think it's called like the marginal abatement cost, but it, it's not just savings. Like right off the bat, when they switch over, they're also reducing their emissions. Is that right? Yeah. Generally, it's a little bit more indirect, right? Like uh, especially up here in Seattle, um, you know, Seattle City Lights, 100% clean. Um, I think it's like 92% of Seattle's 
energy comes from hydro and the other aid that they buy off the market, uh, they offset through through various programs. So when we save a kilowatt hour up in Seattle, you know, it's it's not reducing coal consumption in the you know mid-Atlantic. Uh, it is allowing energy, which is mutable and can get sent across the mountains into Eastern Washington or, or down South to California. Also enabling Seattle to not have to go out and build more power plants. Um, so you're a hundred percent, uh, hundred percent right that it's enabling the low emission sustainable grid to operate as, uh, as we want it to. And as it should, you know, Seattle has been able yeah. to meet its load growth during the largest or you know maybe maybe the gold rush was larger right but one of the largest periods of expansion in uh in seattle's history with nothing but energy efficiency you know it is the cheapest energy source out there yeah and and do you think that these utilities who are more right so seattle's really hydro right i think i looked online and like 2019 it was like 84 um but you know, Duke's based in North Carolina and I was looking there, you know, they're more 33, 34% coal. Are these utility companies more incentivized to partner with Illumia as an efficiency, as a service? And then are they, are they, when they target your service, are they also doing something similar with their residential customers, like the you and me's of the world? Uh, good question. So the first question is more like, is is Duke Energy uh, emissions minded when they're engaging in our program? Yeah. I mean, just in general, you know, one thing I wanted to ask, maybe we'll, we'll jump around a little bit, but if the utility companies across the world, but really let's talk about the United States for a second, if they were to 10x their effort in terms of, hey, we're focused on reducing our emissions, does that mean they're like a Lumia like I should buy a Lumia stock right now because they're going to be the first place they're going to go is efficiency or are they going to, you know, renewables are becoming this, uh, I think like the largest builds, the, the largest new builds of energy generation was efficiency was renewables this year. Mm-hmm. So where do you guys play in in that? Uh, that's a great question. And, and I'd love to, you know, maybe, a, you know, f- I'm sure a future guest of yours will, will talk a little bit more about those economics. Cause again, that's getting a little bit, a little bit out of my expertise, but Let's, you know, take take this uh, idea is that utilities are again service providers. They provide electrons. You know, um, whether that's coming from a solar panel or a nuclear power plant or a coal plant, um, is to some utilities much the same. You know, there are regional pressures to be cleaner. There are that can be, you know, political or can come directly from, from their constituents and their clients. Um, efficiency is always a part of that because one of the things that utilities are is they're generally pretty good with their money. And they also know that the avoided cost and the avoided generation is, is actually cheaper. Um, you know, some, some know that better than others. And when you, you know, if you look at like the ACEEE energy efficiency scorecard, you can see which states and they're in, you know, uh, bet your dollar on that. The utilities in that same region probably aren't feeling the, the pressure to, to become more efficient in those, in those same areas. Um, they aren't offering efficiency or renewables. You know, they're, they're just saying, hey, you want my electrons or not? You know, and a lot of times it's a it's a monopoly. So you have my electrons or nobody else's. <laughs> um, now a lot of other utilities, because there are, you know, uh, I forget the exact number, but somewhere right right between like twelve hundred and fifteen hundred electric electricity providers in the nation. Um, you know, there are those who have seen what's coming and have wanted to diversify their offerings. Uh, that's what you know, motivate someone, someone like Duke energy is both to serve their clients as well as, uh, reach their goals of, of, you know, becoming carbon emission efficient, you know, really making sure that, that they're being responsible with, uh, the energy they're putting out there, that their constituents want them to also be responsible. But, you know, it's, it's been cool to see 
um, you know, kind of firsthand how that ethos is actually spread within a company that that does operate a you know a ton of coal and and definitely when compared to someone like you know Seattle City Light has has a dirtier footprint behind them. Does that hit on your question there? Yeah, definitely. Quinton and I know each other through our local Seattle community, and I consider him one of my sustainability mentors. I asked Quinton and Lumia to be part of season one because of our friendship and the fact that his voice is perfect for radio. Quinton recognizes that fossil fuels have produced the lifestyle he and I live today. One, we're very privileged to do so, and two, that lifestyle is going to bring millions of other people out of poverty, it's going to extend their lives, and it's going to help the world become a better place for human beings. At the same time, Quinton knows that we need to change our habits. It's the countries like the US that are going to need to innovate to get us there. Alumia's work is an example of prioritization to reduce our carbon footprint. It's not the full answer, but it's the action we need to take right now while innovators create green solutions. Quite frankly, it's also easy money and it's done through simple actions. In the second half of the interview, Quinton and I focus on how his experience in the business of efficiency as a service can be applied to everyday consumers like you and me. You know, and I kind of wonder right now, when you guys pitch someone, is it, hey, we're going to save you money versus we're going to save you carbon? Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if that changes in five years, 10 years, where it's, hey, we're going to save you carbon and you'll also save money. <laughs> um, yeah, so far, 10 out of 10, it's money. Right, right. Still, it's, uh, you know, the the client who who wants the just the carbon emissions you know reduction is generally one individual on a team um and that's totally a motivation for uh, a project but it's often like an a badge or kind of an accolade that goes along with it um no i'd say 10 out of 10 of you know that's that's def- that's not true but you know, some of the, for example, some of our public clients are, you know, truly kind of like coming at energy efficiency from a mandate to be more sustainable and energy efficient. And that, and carbon emissions definitely are, definitely are, are part of that. But that's because I think we all as constituents and, you know, our representatives and the various folks in our you know, political and economic ecosystem have created those pressures and those mechanisms to where you have a resource conservation manager who is saying, Hey, my, I have a goal of reducing emissions. I'm going to choose energy efficiency to do that. Um, but out there in the private market, it is still, it is still very much dollars and cents driven. Um, and especially at a time like now where a lot of the energy efficiency and sustainability, you know, needs, you know, come second when we're, taking masks off our face and throwing them on the ground, or, you know, have another, another need that is standing right in front of us and right. And before we are thinking about emissions or where our waste is going after we're done with an item. Just a few more questions. I, I promise they'll be quick. I, I really appreciate your time. Um, All good. But if, you know, if I find, if I'm a homeowner, if I'm a renter, even cause I'm most landlords pass on their electricity bill, how long is it going to take me to, buy the bulbs where do i get them install them and uh you know not only am i saving money but i'm reducing emissions like how long will that take me if i'm trying to come net zero myself awesome question um so if we're talking light bulbs then generally so if you're using your your facility your (laughs) uh your house um a number of hours uh, a day you can tell we don't do you know individual single family homes uh when I'm saying facility, but the oftentimes the the payback is less than a year, you know? So when I was renting and the landlord uh, lessee divide is very real, you know, why would I, why would I buy my landlord a bunch of new light bulbs? You know, I'm just going to walk out and, and leave a, you know, $5 led for them. And I haven't even gotten, you know, more than a year of benefit. You know, and I'll just leave that up in up in the ceiling. And 
you know, a lot of buildings are incandescent or still kind of crappy fluorescence because of that. Um, what I did when I was renting was, uh, I took all the bulbs that were legacy out, put them in a box. And when I left the apartment, I put them back in, I left some of the LEDs cause like, why not? But, um, and I was obviously in the industry, so I have a little bit more access, but, uh, if you're, if you're not upgrading because of the fear that over the next year and a half after that year and a half, you might not get all of the benefit from that asset that you just purchased, you know, hopefully you can find another way. Number one, wouldn't it be pretty cool? It only costs, you know, maybe a hundred bucks to deck out your house with LEDs or at least hit a lot of the major spots. Uh, wouldn't it be cool that, you know, you can kind of pay it forward and, and provide that energy efficiency to someone else, you know, moving forward, you know, that's awesome. You know, I took a, I, I admittedly took a little bit of that route in the, in the middle. Um, I think actually what I did was one of those like residential programs came around and they were going to put an aerator on my faucet. They were going to, you know, through the landlord that I had, um, they were going to, they supplied five LEDs, free LEDs. So I think I even, I left like uh, me being someone of the honor system, right? I left those, those ones that had been provided to the building. And then I, I grabbed the other ones that I'd specifically bought that I liked, um, and took them to my new house. Nice. But, I love that. <laughs> but like, yeah, why not? Why not? You know, uh, if these things are mutable and, uh, and you can make, make the investment and you can, you know, reduce your own energy, energy footprint. And guess what? You also have a better looking house a more consistent, you know, light quality. Uh, you aren't having to get up and change it. They aren't, you know, a 50 watt MR16, which are generally those little kind of like decorative things that are on like track lights and things like that. Um, those are stinking hot, you know, you, like you can burn your hands on them. You know, other things in your house are, are potential fire hazards right there. Um, so there's, you know, there are, there are a lot of benefits. Yeah. And if, if I'm trying to build my influencer career, um, does it save me having to get like a separate standalone unit? Because now I have great lighting everywhere. <laughs> well, my photos look fantastic. Well, totally. Yeah. And you have a, you know, more even color temperature. Um, Perfect. You know, the, I'd say as far as like where to get them, uh, like anything, you know, cheap, a cheap, uh, the cheap chicken, you're going to have to buy it twice. You know, it's gener not to say only go with a brand name that you, that you know, but you know, maybe consider buying from a local hardware store where you can go back. Uh, and there's a reason that they put that that local hardware store has that brand there. Uh, it's generally not only because that's the distributor that serves them and that's the brand they carry. It's because there's a little bit of quality behind it. Online is these days, especially is, uh, you know, there's a wide, wide variety of, of quality and, and cost out there. You know, you're going to end up buying it twice if you're, if you just go on, just go on low cost. So I'd say, yeah, buy a couple, see how you like, how you like the look and feel. These are, you know, electronic components. So, you know, maybe try them out, see, see if they get super, super hot. If the, the base of your light bulb is getting, you know, blazing hot you know, it might not be the best quality of, of lamp, um, after it's been there a couple of hours, but the, the main, the main brands you're going to, you're going to be fine with and, uh, maybe just buy buy a multi-pack of those. If you had to give us one name brand, what would it be? <laughs> we'll make sure uh, they give you royalties. I don't know if you can, maybe you can't say cause, uh, your partnership. Give me my, give me my pay for pay for click. No. Well, yeah. well, it's been interesting because we, so we, we track, um, you know, we have thousands of lights out there in the field and we get, we get the call when, when they go out. So it's really interesting that actually some of the brand names fail more often than a lot of the, the non-brand names. So, you know, uh, you'll find the brand names when you go out there and you'll feel comforted when you purchase them. And you might say, Hey, why, why did this thing fail? You know, there are a lot of lamp, different lamps are going to fail, but you got your, 
I mean, Cree is the biggest one probably, or at least one of the big ones because they made a lot of actual LED chips for a while um, and were one of the prominent chip producers. You've got, you know, Maxlight, you've got, uh, you know, Green Creative, you've got all different, all different types, you know, we deal with more of, you know, on a day-to-day like high bays and exterior lights and parking lot lights. And a lot of those manufacturers aren't the same ones that, uh, that make kind of household common bulbs, you know, Satco is another good brand that's out there and has just about every type of, of commercial and, and residential bulb that, that you might want. Um, but again, those are, those are four of the big names and those aren't going to be generally are not going to be the, the ones that you see if you go to, you know, your online retailer and filter to low cost to high cost. Lighting is one of those things that there are a ton of different online re- retailers out there. And I feel like some of them survive more than, uh, like it's still enough of a niche that if you want anything other than like two Kelvin temps out there, like bright white for outside. Yeah, so, Kelvin yeah, temps you, being Kelvin temp is the the warmth of your light. So when you turn on that light, is it really like white light as if it's kind of noon outside, a noontime sun? That's your white five thousand Kelvin light, uh, or is it you know kind of more orangey like a fire? That's your lower Kelvin temperature, like twenty seven hundred, three thousand. Uh, so if you want, you know. Uh, your your residence is generally lower and in the 2700 or 3000 range if you want anything other than the main option you know you of 2700 kelvin then you probably uh are going to go to find one of these other online retailers so it's not always that uh that forest in south america (laughs) yeah um really quick I feel like I've heard this. Uh, it's come up a few times. A few people asked me to talk about it. So is keeping your light on more energy efficient than turning it off? Because every time you turn it on, it, it's like starting your car and uses more energy or should no? should, if I'm going to leave my room, should I keep my, turn my light off and then just suffer the consequences of that energy boost when I turn it on? Um, with LEDs, it is, it is not, it is a hundred percent not a, there's not a, uh, um, there's not a an immediate explosion that is you know using a ton of gas to to start up your car. Uh, it is able to be turned on and off. You could sit there at the light light switch and flip it on and off as much as you want, and it's not going to get tired. You know that's actually how they test the the LED light bulbs. Is they put it on something that switches it on and off thousands of times. You know your switch is probably going to break before the light bulb if it's a good light bulb. So turn my lights off when I leave. Yeah, there you go. Just, you know, flip it, the hand. Um, you could put an occupancy sensor on your wall, but then you just uh, ate up your payback. Awesome. Okay. A few, I promise for real, just just oh, a few yeah. quick ones. Um, keep for keep pe- shooting. For people, if you got something in your mind, all good. No, it's great. The truth is that you've got like the perfect voice for radio. So I, I want to keep <laughs> you here on as, as much as possible. I'm sure you've gotten that before. Um, if people want to work at Illumia, uh, what, what would you say to them? Like, what, what do they, what kind of experiences do you guys look for? Uh, what's a good candidate? Do they have to have any kind of background? Yeah. Great question. Um, a background in energy helps a background in construction or the built environment helps. Um, a background in project management helps. Uh, we, have found success like with with uh any industry with good people more than the smartest person um you know uh, at illumia right now you got to be a little lucky just because we are still a fairly small team so you know we, we don't have a ton of job offerings out there um that are constantly floating so there's a lot of a right time and right place um which is just kind of part of the part of the grind but uh, no, we're looking for people who are good, good teammates, good communicators, um, you know, patient, collaborative, creative, um, 
able to wear, I mean, it's, I don't like the, it's kind of a pithy statement, right? But able to wear different hats, that's less and less a thing as, you know, Illumia grew from being a, you know, a handful of people company to, you know, tens of people uh, where we are now a little bit more differentiated. But you still need that because you're always going to be dealing with a few different things. I love that. Uh, last question. How much of what you do is because you want to help the world be, you know, reduce the world's carbon, make it more environmentally friendly versus, I, you know, I want to run a profitable business? That's a fine question. And I would probably answer this at different points throughout my life. Um, I know I would. The... I mean, luckily at, at Illumia, we like, it's, it's such a perfect marriage of, of both, you know, we're able to profit every dollar we put into a a business is reducing its energy footprint and its carbon footprint or, you know, whatever, whatever footprint in its territory it leaves behind. Um, so I'm, I'm super lucky that they like literally cannot happen one without the other in, in my business. And that's, Perhaps why I, one of the reasons I love it so much is I was able to kind of skirt that, uh, that problem. It wasn't like I was choosing, you know, uh, working on an oil derrick and getting a bunch of money or, you know, green piece and, and painting seals with, uh, you know, non-toxic paints. No one grabs their furs. <laughs> you know, this was definitely a marriage of, you know, working at the climate as a climate policy analyst, you know, people at NGOs don't make a ton of money. There's got to be a lot of passion and you got to be in it for, uh, generally you got to be in it for, for the mission. Um, I definitely did need to, to make a little bit more, more pocket change at the time. So that was one of my motivators to, you know, get out, so to say of the NGO world. Um, I do stay, you know, quite involved and I'm still, you know, Illumia is a member of the Washington Business Alliance that, that I was a part of. And, you know, it's super important for me to always stay connected with, you know, some of those roots and those endeavors and, and try and support those who, who are involved. But yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely both, you know, one of the, the, the profit part was, as much a means to, and is still as much a means to creating impact as, uh, as just the pure passion of the impact itself. You know, one of the things that happened in Washington in 2013 and 14, everybody knew it was going to be a carbon tax or cap and trade. You tell me, is there a carbon tax in Washington state right now? Is there cap and trade? No, there's neither. So, what we did was put our words into action and just go out there and start, you know, reducing carbon anyway. And that was, again, luckily a trade-off I didn't have to make. It was taking action. That was the more important thing. Love that. Quentin, thank you so much for your time. Um, If people want to get in touch with you or with Illumio, what's the best way to do it, to do it? Yeah, probably just, uh, you know, Illumia, Illumia.com. Uh, that's not Illumina. <laughs> that's the most, <laughs> most, the most common, uh, you know, variant of that. But Illumia, A-L-L-U-M-I-A.com. I drop a line through the contact. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way. Or, or find me on LinkedIn. Quentin Barnes, Illumia. It's not, I don't think there's another one out there. So, <laughs> Awesome. Quentin, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Definitely. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks again to Quentin for joining us today. You can find him on LinkedIn or reach out via illumia.com slash contact. I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's episode. Are you going to change your light bulbs in your house? You can join the conversation about net zero living on our weekly clubhouse office hours by following at the net zero life. 
Clubhouse Net Zero Office Hours are Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific and 9 p.m. Eastern. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, at The Net Zero Life, or by emailing me at Nathan at TheNetZeroLife.com. This episode was produced by Tony Levitt, original music composed by Climb On. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, I interview the founder of a fishing technology company. And while we try to eliminate the fishing puns from the episode, we couldn't reel it in all the way. Until next week, I'm Nathan Svee, and this is The Net Zero Life.